The following audio is from a sermon series on the book of Colossians entitled, Jesus Over Everything. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Uh, My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here at Sacred City. I just want to say to our members that I miss you. And those just joining us here online, welcome to virtual Sacred City Church. And this is okay. But I promise you, it's a lot better in person. Um, As thankful as I am for all the virtual tools that technology has given us, analog is still way better. Flesh and blood beats virtual reality, hands down. Now, that's always been true, but it's interesting how something can be true and yet not really seem real until our eyes get opened up to it. See, the Bible teaches us that we should never neglect the gathering together of ourselves for worship, but the reality is we still did, didn't we? We skipped church for all kinds of trivial things, but now when we are providentially hindered from gathering, we feel the loss, don't we? See, something can be true, but it won't really change your life until your eyes get opened up to the reality of it. The same is true of our text today. It's absolutely true. In fact, it's the best news in the universe, but it won't really change your life unless your eyes get opened up to it. Now, what's that truth? Here we go. I'm going to give it to you right up front today. No matter who you are, no matter what you have done, no matter where you've come from, you can be filled in your soul by God himself. Imagine yourself, last week we talked about this, as a coffee cup, but then imagine, your, or imagine God as the ocean. See, you can be filled with God's presence like that coffee cup that gets dipped into the ocean. Now what that means is that everything your soul longs for, eternal love, Eternal security, communion, fellowship, warmth, intimacy, everything your soul longs for can be found, but here's the reality, it can only be found in one place. Now it's my prayer this morning that the Spirit of God would open up your eyes to see and open up your ears to hear the one place that that your soul satisfaction can be found. And that could be absolutely 100% real to you. Let me pray for us and let's jump into our text. Father, I do thank you first off for this medium of technology that allows me to minister and preach the gospel even when we are providentially hindered from being gathered together. I pray for the people that are watching this now. I pray for families in homes in in their pajamas with coffee cups on 
the coffee table and kids with their drawings and their notes out and their, their crayons uh, listening to this sermon. I pray for the single people sitting in their apartment um, really missing community and separated from us. I pray for those in the nursing home right now that are watching us on their cell phones. I pray for those driving in their cars, those at work listening to us on the podcast, wherever they find themselves, Father, I pray for them and I pray that the reality of Christ would be opened up to their mind and would be opened up to their soul and you by the spirit of the living God would move into their soul and, and satisfy that soul in a way that they've never experienced before. Father, would you help me today? Would you think through my mind and speak through my vocal cords? Would it be all of you and none of me? Father, would you use this sermon for your glory and our good? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, kids, for those of us taking notes this morning, uh, my outline is going to follow our text pretty closely. We've got three verses, and we're going to have three points to the sermon. My points are going to look like this. We're going to be looking at one, an open mind, two, a closed case, and three, a full soul. All right, here it is. Open mind, closed case, a full soul. All right, let's go ahead and take a look at our text this morning. We are in chapter 2, and we are at verse 8. Here Paul lists a few things that we could classify as alternate religions or alternate paths to happiness. He warns the Colossian Christians not to be, quote, taken captive by them. All right, now here's my point. What the apostle is going to start out with doing today is he's going to warn us of the dangers of an open mind. Now, let's look at verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive. That means don't be captured by these things, by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Okay, so what's he doing? He's warning us of the dangers of an open mind. Now, I know we're supposed to be open-minded. We're, we're supposed to be open-minded Americans, right? Our culture teaches us to treat our spiritual lives like some kind of religious smorgasbord or, or buffet. You're to survey all your options, and then you're to take what works best for you. Think about a buffet with all kinds of different religious practices on them. You go around and you choose what seems appetizing to you. You add that to your plate and then your plate becomes totally unique to you. I remember as a kid, one of my favorite things to do after church was our parents would occasionally take us to Ryan's Buffet. And when we would go to Ryan's, uh, well, all the kids would have to be told you can't go to the, the candy buffet because that's what we wanted to do first was go to the candy buffet and get our, our, our ice cream and just pour all the candy on it and who cares about the food. But when you go to a buffet, you look at all the stuff and all, all, you just pick and choose what you want and you come back and you look at the table around you and every child and every adult, all of their plates look different. Why? Because it's up to their preferences. They went out and chose what looked appetizing to them. Well, when a person does that religiously, right, they end up creating what is, in essence, their own unique religion. It's completely unique to them. And this is kind of what our society is telling us to do. Go out and create your own religion. And so you, can, you find people that say things like, oh, I'm a Christian, 
stoic who practices Eastern meditation and believes in karma and reincarnation? Um, no, you're actually just confused, right? Listen, open-mindedness is only good to a certain point. G.K. Chesterton once said this, don't be so open-minded that your brain falls out. Kids, you've got a little spot on your notes that you can draw. That's what you should draw right there. Don't be so open-minded that your brain falls out. That's a good analogy, right? So here Paul warns us, there are a lot of spiritual options in this world. A lot of paths, they say, will lead you to enlightenment or nirvana or happiness or peace or soul satisfaction. But in reality, they are, in his words, Paul's words here, empty deceit. That means they lie and they're hollow. They're empty. Let's take a closer look at them. One, he says in verse 8, don't be taken captive by philosophy and empty deceit. Now, philosophy in Paul's day, it wasn't just a, a you know, a, a a, a subject to study. It meant any system of thought. Uh, Judaism was a philosophy, okay? Uh, under the old covenant, that was a philosophy. It was any system of thought and its subsequent way of life. So philosophy was more than just a department in the academy, in, in, in college somewhere. It was more than just a system of thought. It was your entire way of life. So it was your way of thinking and then the way you lived in line with that, okay? And he says this, don't be caught up with empty philosophy and also uh, according to human tradition. Now, human tradition just means what's passed down from human, humanity, what seems right to a man. The Bible tells us that there's a way that seems right unto man, but that way ends in death, right? What seems right? Well, every religion of the world it just says, well, there's, there's different gods out there and you just need to submit to that God. Or, or every religion kind of teaches, be a good person and then you'll be accepted by the gods. Or I'm just going to try to be the best person I can and hopefully one day I'll, I'll find God. This is just human tradition. And he goes on, he says this, verse eight again, according to the elemental, now this is a weird phrase, the elemental spirits of the world. Now, physical elements, earth, wind, fire, water, have often been worshipped or deified. The people of, in ancient religions also thought or believed that there was a God over water, a God over fire, a God over wind, a God over earth, etc. So he could be referring to that, but more than likely, he's just grouping it in into kind of like natural, uh, cultural um, gods that each society, each culture, each country kind of worship their own set of gods. Um, you, they worship money, they worship sex, they worship power, they worship the female form. They, they just worship all of these elemental things. And he's basically saying this, there's this way that seems right unto man and it either leads to the way of moralism and just be a good enough person to honor the gods or some kind of philosophy, figure out what life's all about and just structure your life around that and live that way or just the worship of all kind of different gods or making the created thing into gods. And he says, this way seems right unto a man, right? It sounds real spiritual, but in reality, it's empty deceit. It's phony religion. We've got all kinds of this thought and this practice alive and well in the United States. Now, I came across an interesting article this week, and it's from 1986, and it was written in the Arizona Republic, and it was published on 
this multi-millionaire and CEO of the Nautilus 24-hour fitness brand. And his name is Gordon Hall. And here is what the article said. Quote, Gordon Hall is worth more than $100 million. He says, because it was his goal to be worth more than $100 million by the age of 33. Others say it was closer to $60 million. There are other goals. By the time he is 38, he, want, he will be a billionaire. By the time his earthly body expires and he is convinced that he can live up to be 120 years old, he will assume what he believes to be his just heavenly reward. Gordon Hall will be a god, lowercase g. Here's what Gordon Hall says. We have always existed as intelligences, as spirits, he says. We are down here to gain a body. As man is now, God once was. And as God is now, man can become. If you can believe it, then your genetic makeup is to be a God. And I believe it. That's why I believe I can do anything. My genetic makeup is to be a God. My God in heaven creates worlds and universes. I believe I can do anything too. Now, basically, this is just I believe it and I can achieve it. That's, that's the simplest form I could characterize this guy's understanding, this guy's religion, this guy's worldview. And he sounds just like modern day Tony Robbins, Conor McGregor, or Logan Paul. They all believe that they can somehow manifest their destiny through their own positive thoughts and behaviors. All you have to do is see it in your mind and believe it in your heart and get to work and you will manifest that reality into your world. Now, this is nothing new. This is false religion. It's empty deceit. None of these men can stop death. On a long enough timeline, the death rate is always 100%. And if you can't stop death, well, guess what? You can't stop destruction either. You can't stop a recession with the powers of your mind or belief in your heart either. And so I wanted to, I saw this quote and it was written a while back. So I wanted to see, well, where, where is this Gordon Hall today? What's he doing today? And so I Googled him real quick, and you know what I found? Gordon Hall is in prison for tax fraud, racketeering, and securities fraud. It seems that his business took a hit during a recession, and he turned to illegal activities to keep himself afloat. Now, isn't this ironic, right? This man who believed his genetic makeup was to be a god is spending the rest of his life in prison. His religion was a lie. It was a hollow philosophy. And it doesn't matter how many people say that it worked, right? They're at the top of their game. You know, Conor McGregor, you know, he's at the top of his game. He's making millions of dollars. He could, could be a billionaire. And he's saying, oh, I just believed it and I achieved it. Well, here's the reality. He won't stay there. Someone's going to knock him out. He's going to get older and he's going to fall. And what's he going to say then? Where's this empty philosophy then, right? It doesn't work. It's a lie. Now, you might push back on what Paul is saying here. And you might say something like, well, I don't think it's right to say any religion is wrong. Rather, I believe that each religion sees 
a sliver of religious truth or they see a part of religious truth, but no religion can see the whole truth. Now, I, I was introduced to this kind of thought in a comparative religions class in college. And this point is illustrated sometimes with the story of the blind men and the elephant. If you ever heard of this, it goes something like this. Several blind men were walking along and came along upon an elephant that, allow, that allowed them to touch it and feel it. One went up and said, This creature is long and flexible like a snake, said the first blind man, holding the elephant's trunk. Not at all. It is thick and round like a tree trunk, said the second blind man, feeling the elephant's leg. No, it's large and flat, said the third blind man, touching the elephant's side. See, each blind man could only feel part of the elephant, and none of them could envision the entire elephant. In the same way, it's argued, that religions of the world each have a grasp on part of the truth of, about spiritual reality, but none can see the whole elephant or claim to have a comprehensive vision of the truth. Now, this kind of sounds interesting. It kind of sounds true. We kind of shake our head and go, yeah, that sounds right. One religion walks up to the back of an elephant, feels its tail. Oh, religion is like a, you know, a snake or God is like a snake. Another walks up to its leg. No, it's like a trunk. Walks up to its side. No, it's like a wall, right? Well, what's going on? Well, if you really actually think about this illustration, the whole illustration backfires on its users. See, the story is being told from the point of view of someone who is clearly not blind. See, how could you know that each blind man only sees part of the elephant unless you claim to be able to see the whole elephant? Right? There is an appearance of humility to say that the truth is so much greater than one person can grasp or one religion can grasp. But if it's used to invalidate the claims of other religions, then it, it's claiming to have a superior knowledge to all of them, right? We have to say, how, how can you see the whole elephant, right? How could you possibly know that no one religion could see the whole truth unless you yourself have the superior comprehensive knowledge of spiritual reality that you just claimed none of the religions have, right? Well, you might say, how, how can Christianity say it's the only way, it's the only truth? Well, it's because of what we see in our next point here, a closed case. Look what Paul says here in verse nine. Paul, Paul is basically saying Christianity can see the whole elephant. Christianity can see all of spiritual reality, all of the truth, and it knows that it's an elephant there, and it knows it's the only way, it's the only way to spiritual truth. And how does it know that? Look at verse 9. For in him, that's Jesus, for in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity, that's godness, deity, godness, dwells bodily. Now, every one of those words is just pregnant with meaning. For in Jesus, the whole fullness of godness, deity, dwells bodily. What makes Christianity totally and unique among all the other religious smorgasbord out there? See, Christianity is not based on a set of teachings. 
It's not, it's not based on something you do. Its foundation, its cornerstone is right here. For in Jesus the man, the historical human being that existed 2,000 years ago, the whole fullness of Godness dwells bodily. Do you see how unique this is? How special this is? That God is an eternal spirit. That means he's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's omnipresent. He can be everywhere all at the same time. He's omniscient. He knows all things. He's omnibenevolent. He's always good. And yet all of that goodness, all of that godness, put on human flesh and walked among us. See, every other religion is like one of those blind men that walks up to the element and it, elephant and it feels something. It says, okay, this, this is what God is like, right? And it has a narrow view on reality. It might only get one aspect of God's character right, one piece of re spiritual reality right. But Christianity is absolutely unique because Christianity says God came down and put on flesh among us and revealed himself Completely to us. See, only in Christianity do you have God in the flesh saying, I am the way, right? And that's my second point. The case is closed on spiritual truth, right? We have an open mind. We have a closed case. Jesus is God. Now, G.K. Chesterton went on to say, Merely having an open mind is nothing. The object of opening the mind as of opening the mouth is to shut it again on something solid. <laughs> See, we open our mouth so we can put food in it and we can close our mouth so we can chew it up and we can swallow it, right? So you only open your mouth so you can close it on something solid. Well, the same thing is true of the mind. Yes, we should have an open mind to a certain extent, but once we find the truth, once we find that closed case that Jesus is God himself, our mind should close upon that and we should cancel out all the other religious options and we should steer clear of them or we could become captured by them like the Apostle Paul says. Now, so what does it mean? So it means that Jesus is the truth that your mind is meant to close upon. That means everything that you are looking for is found in Jesus. There's no other option. There's no other way to religious truth. There's no other way to eternal happiness. There's no other way to be made right with God. Now, that kind of leads me to my, my last point. And it's that there's a, a way to be filled here in our soul, right? We can have a full soul and it's Christians are filled with God himself. Look at verse 10. And you... That's, he's writing to the Christians in Colossians. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Now, sometimes Christianity gets dumbed down to simply being forgiven of our sins. Uh, Dallas Willard once wrote that God, that life with God gets reduced down to what he called a barcode faith. 
And the barcode faith analogy is that you just confess your sins to God, you turn to Jesus and put your faith in Jesus, and basically God gives you a barcode. He stamps it on your forehead, and now you've got your entrance into heaven. That's all you need. And so you got this barcode, so whenever you die, he's going to scan that barcode, and you get entrance into the heavenly kingdom, and that's all that Christianity is about. So now just go on and live your life like everybody else. Go on and pursue your dreams. Go on and pursue your happiness. Go on and do whatever seems right to you. And he says, now this, this is, you know, taking the expansive gospel and just focusing on one little narrow aspect of it. And it really just limits the beauty and the truth of the gospel itself. To be forgiven of your sins is a truth of the gospel. It's, we do get this barcode in a sense. We get this guaranteed ticket into heaven. That's great. But both of those points miss the greatest current reality of the gospel. And that's this. God, the eternal spirit, because of the work of Jesus in our place and on our behalf, has, past tense, when we put our faith in Christ, has filled us in Christ. Filled us. We are that coffee cup that gets scooped into the ocean of God and God enters into us and fills us. Every nook and cranny of our soul gets filled with God. Now, this means a lot of things. One, it means when you accept Christ as your Savior, you will never be alone again. No matter how isolated you feel right now, no matter quarantined you are because of this pandemic that we're in, you are not alone. You are in Christ, and Christ is in you. It also means that the thing that we long for, the, the union that our soul craves, we were built by, by a community, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's three in one, a trinity. They are community themselves, and we are made in their image. We're made for community. This is why we crave companionship, why we crave a husband or a wife, why we crave children even, why we crave friendship and we crave community. We were built for this type of community. But what ultimately all of those uh, cravings point to is that we were meant to be known by God and we were meant to know God. We want to have communion with him. And the reality of the gospel, because of what Jesus has done for us, we can walk with God now. We can have an intimate relationship with God now. We can have real soul communion with the God of the universe right now. Now, I've had many people say to me, okay, that, that's an interesting idea. I think I get it. I think I understand it. It sounds real nice. But that isn't my experience. I have I've became a Christian when I was young, and I haven't experienced that kind of communion with God. Well, listen, frankly, I understand that too. I understand your objection. It isn't always my experience. I don't walk around with this tangible feeling that God is in me and we are in communion. Wouldn't that be nice, I say. I just walk into a chaotic home with kids throwing stuff and everything going crazy and I'm just in this perfect, peaceful communion with God and I just walk in and I just say the right thing to my kids at all the right times. Well, that's not my reality. Rankin Wilborn in his book, Union with Christ, which is a phenomenal book, by the way, he says this, Union with Christ is not just an idea to be understood, but a new reality to be lived through faith. Listen, I want, to, I want you to see that we're talking about kind of two separate things here. 
One, we're talking about the truth of that Christ is in us. If, when we are in Christ, Christ is in us and we can have communion with him. And we're talking also about our awareness or our experience of the truth. Those two things are different. The truth of something and our awareness or experience of it is actually different. The truth is that if you are in Christ, Christ is fully in you. He's there with all of his presence, all of his attributes, all of his resources, all of his power. But that doesn't mean necessarily you're going to feel him there all the time. C.S. Lewis talks about this and he says this, quote, It's the actual presence of God, not the sensation of the presence of the Holy Ghost, which begets Christ in us. The sense of the presence, here it is, the sense of the presence is a super added gift for which we give thanks when it comes. So the life of the Christian, here's the reality. Christ is in you right now. All of his resources, all of his attributes. That means all of his peace, all of his, all of his kindness, all of his gentleness, all of his strength and his power and his, his self-control. All of that is in you, but you might not be aware of it and you're not going to be aware of it all the time. But when you are aware of it, when you feel in a in a in a in a season of life that you're really afraid and all of a sudden you get a peace that passes understanding. That's a super added gift. That's the, the awareness of his presence. You can say, thank God for the peace that he gives me right now, right? When you're in a difficult temptation and, and you don't, you think you're gonna give in because you've given into this thing a hundred times, but all of a sudden you find in yourself a reason to get up and walk away from it. That was an awareness of the presence of the Lord in your soul that he gave you the gift of self-control in that moment and you can thank God for it. It's not always there. It's, it's the, the, the awareness of the presence is not always there. Is his presence always there? Yes, absolutely. Listen, brother and sister in Christ, if you have Jesus, you have everything your soul needs for eternal security and eternal happiness. Believe that truth right now right where you are. You're not lacking any resources. You're not lacking any spiritual resources that you need. You can say it like this. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. You don't need anything else outside of Jesus for your happiness. You don't need to keep an open mind on this subject that your mind is meant to close once it finds the truth. Don't believe the lie that our culture is selling you, that you need something other than Jesus to find your soul full and satisfied. That it's Jesus plus wealth or Jesus plus a spouse or Jesus plus security or Jesus plus financial, you know, the financial future or Jesus plus a secure job. You don't need anything else in this moment other than the presence of Jesus within you. Think about it. Because of the gospel, because of Christ in you, your every sin has been erased. Your eternity is secure and can never be lost. Your soul has been filled with God himself and he is in you now reminding you of the Father's love. 
He's in you now, convicting you of your sin and strengthening you to fight your temptations. He's in you now, helping you understand Scripture. He's in you now, making you more and more and more into the image of His Son. He's in you now, comforting you in your troubles. He's going to get you through this season that we're in right now. This is something we can never move past. The God who spoke the galaxies into existence is now pleased to dwell in you because of Jesus. Listen, when you realize the significance of this, you will realize that what you already possess is everything you need for life and godliness. There's nothing else you need. If you have Christ, if Christ is in you, then you already have everything you need. That's really the point that I want to end on today. I want us just to think about that. One, think about the sermon we had today. We had an open mind, we had a closed case, and we had a full soul. And that's where I hope that we end this sermon today, with a soul that's full of the presence of God. And if during this worship, by listening to the, the worship songs that Sacred Cities recorded and reading the liturgy and listening to the sermon, if you felt a sense of the awareness of the Spirit of God, let's give Him thanks for it. I encourage you as after I pray to maybe listen to one more worship song this morning and just thank God for His Spirit in you. And if you've got an awareness, thank, uh, awareness of that presence, thank Him for that as well. Let me pray. Father, the good news of the gospel is bigger than we can even imagine. It's more than just being forgiven. It's more than just getting into heaven when we die. The reality is that you want to dwell in us by faith now. And we can't even wrap our minds around that. What does it mean that Christ is in me? What does it mean that the fullness of God can come into me and fill me up? Father, would you give me an awareness of that? Would you open up my mind to that reality and make it real to me? That every day you are in me. That you're speaking life to my soul. You're speaking absolution to my soul. You're reminding me every day when I sin that, I'm, that I have a freedom to confess my sins to you because I've been completely absolved of my sin. I've been wiped clean. That you are at work in me, changing me, renewing my mind, helping me understand scripture, helping me love my wife and my kids and my neighbor. Father, you're doing all of these good things and you promise to get me to heaven when I die. You promise that that's, that's not even a matter, that's, that that case is closed, that Christ has already secured it for me. So would you give me a peace that passes all understanding? Would you give me self-control now in the midst of this and a sense of your presence? Would you do this all for your glory and our good? In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen and amen.